All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 30 of the Breaking Balls podcast. Ring the Liberty Bell, eat a cheesesteak, because the protagonists from Philadelphia have won again. Call it a Rocky movie, Bob. Adam, Adam, there were 12 other games in the NFL. It was college football championship weekend. And the playoffs got announced, so yeah, we'll get to the we'll get to the Titans Eagles game, I guess. But a lot to break down this weekend for episode thirty. Hit it, Dolly. Flags in the air. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 30 of the Breaking Balls podcast. Before we get into this too deep. Here we go. Here we go. I didn't have to hear it enough all goddamn day. Seven times. Sounds like some Big Ten corny song. All right, well, folks, Bob, take a shot. Take a shot every time you hear that song on this podcast, and I'm sure that will not be the last time for sure. Something, something. The Eagles are eleven and one. But um, before we get into that game, Bob, we may as well start where we always do on the Breaking Boss podcast. It's the breakdown. It's the Sunday night episode. So we got to start with Sunday night football. Um, the Colts and the Cowboys. Um, you know, this was a very, very close game, Bob. And then the fourth quarter happened. We had a great Sunday night football game, Adam. Finally happened. You know, we've had a couple snoozers this year, a couple hit or miss games. And everyone was like, why is this game not going to get flexed out? Jeff Saturday's boys came to play for 45 minutes. It was... 21-19, the Colts cut it to two, and then the fourth quarter started. And, Adam, I blinked. I went out for a walk. I looked down at my phone. I came back. I blinked again. And the Cowboys had hung 33 in a row in the fourth quarter. I, 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 wow. wow. Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily even know that this was possible. Um but, yeah, like you said, kind of took a look down. The next thing you know, look at the TV, and there were 33 points on the board. So, uh, yikes. Uh, sorry about that, Indy. That's that's a real mess. So, not not really sure what to even, to even say there. I mean, what the shame was is they did kind of look like they had some life in this one um, until they didn't. And that's kind of it as far as... As far as that goes, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, honor in honor of episode 30 of Breaking Balls, Adam, the Indianapolis Colts had their 30th fumble of the football season this year. That's right, 30. One, two, three, four. Now, I'm not even going to count because there's that many fumbles. I would have guessed probably two-thirds of those are on Matt Ryan. But regardless, you know, tough loss for Jeff Saturday's boys. You know, he was 2-1. and one, now he's back to 500. I was going to say, you know, hey, Jeff Saturday's going to out-football guy Mike McCarthy down in Dallas. I mean, hey, the, you know, Jeff or Jeff Saturday is going to, you know, coach himself into a job. As a Titans fan, I'm all for it. 
But, uh, you know, after that fourth quarter, I guess we see why not everybody can be an NFL coach, especially just thrown right in there. I mean, that, Adam, that's, just, that's one of the worst fourth quarters I've seen. Good God almighty. Yeah, um, from three and seven as a high school coach to whatever the heck that fourth quarter was. Um, you know, Bob, it, it's just one of those things. You look at the Colts and you think, wow, that that may be the single most devastating loss we saw out of the AFC South this week. But that would be true unless... Um, I thought I, I was safe here. Okay, oh, we're no, never you're, safe here. Oh, oh you're oh, never safe, yeah. Bob. Um, you know, there was a football game uh, played in... Lovely Philadelphia, Pennsylvania today, uh, just on the banks of the Delaware River. Not sure if you caught that one, Bob. Um, the Eagles played the Titans. So you're a Titans fan, right? That's You know, Adam, they, they said that game started at noon. I got the memo. You got the memo. Uh, I wish that uh, the 53 men of Mike Vrabel's two-tone blue Titans would have gotten that memo. Um, we, we had a lot of banter on Thursday, Adam. Um. I, I talked a lot of shit to you. You talked a lot of shit to me. And we both had that understanding that our teams would back it up and it would be a, a slugfest. A, a beat down, a beat down, just kind of uh, just hit him in the mouth slobber knocker. And it was for one team. And the other team just bent over and took it. And Adam, the floor is yours. Congratulations. You officially own the podcast this week, my friend. This is a, yeah. this is an Eagles podcast. I, I mean, 35 to 10, um, you know, not, not the game that I expected by any stretch of the imagination. Um, probably not the performance you expected out of AJ Brown. Um, heck of a game by AJ Brown found a way to absolutely bully the Titans. Just going to say that, um, you know, Bob, it, you said that it would have been nice if this Titans would have gotten the correct start time to the game. And I'd have to agree with you, but from the Eagles perspective, because the Eagles started this game a little bit early. And that's maybe why they got upwards of seven false start penalties. I mean, there was nothing clean about this game. Um, even in that big of a win. And obviously, you know, anytime, anytime you're facing off against a friend's team or anything like that, you just need the bragging rights. And especially when I have to see you twice a week, this one does help a lot for morale for me. Not that I needed any help because the Eagles have been good this year. Not sure if you saw this, they're 11 and one, but um, I, I just, this was, this was a game that I, I expected it to be a lot different um, all credit goes out to the Eagles defense. In my opinion, they did a heck of a job of making the Titans incredibly one dimensional. Um, didn't call Derrick Henry's name meaningfully all day, um, which is exactly what you have to do to beat this Titans team. And I mean, the Eagles kind of gave everyone the blueprint, not that it was necessarily, uh, a secret to this point. You stop Derrick Henry and, you know, the, the Titans kind of become a one-dimensional offense, especially with Traylon Burks getting knocked out of the game pretty early. Um, really hope he's healthy for your sake, Bob. That was a that was a pretty nasty hit. But, um, yeah, not not at all what I expected out of this game. But at the end of the day, um, I'm, it goes to show you the Eagles have a couple of different ways to win football games. And um, I'm just happy that they found a way to win this game because otherwise I'm not sure how this podcast would have gone for me, Bob. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. You, you look at the difference between the teams, Adam. The Titans are a fundamentally sound defensive football team. They'll hit you in the mouth. They'll grind the clock out. Uh, when they get up against a team that is just as physical as the Eagles with that offensive line, the defensive line, there's there's some big old boys on that D line there, uh, and they've only gotten 
bigger as the year has gone on, adding guys like Ndamukong and Sue. Uh, you get Jordan Davis back. I mean, that's that's huge. It takes away that run game. And, you know, the Eagles, when they don't have a run game, they have weapons. They have Goddard. They have Devonta Smith. They have A.J. Brown. They have different guys. Quez Watkins. They have guys that they can throw the ball to and that can burn you. The Titans came to Philadelphia with four healthy receivers. They left with one less, and it happened to be their best receiver. Um, God forbid the Titans have a healthy wide receiver one. I mean, I don't know what I did to deserve this life, Adam, but um, you said Traylon Burks gets hurt. Great catch. He gives you hope moving forward, and then he's dead. So, you know, you take one step forward, you take six six feet deep. So um, it's, just, it's, it's a tough Tough way to, to swallow that uh, that touchdown there. It was the only touchdown of the day for the Titans. But uh, you take away the run game ad, and you know the Titans did don't have the skill players to beat you, and the Eagles do. Yeah, um, it, it was just one of those things that as as the game kind of went on, I actually texted you at one point explaining I thought it was going to be Ryan Tannehill's legs versus Jalen Hurts' arm, which sounded like a ridiculous take, but there was a while there where the Eagles were not sound in their rush lanes to it in the slightest and Tannehill was actually making them pay when they were scrambling and things like that. But ultimately, like you said, I just think the firepower of the Eagles really shown through. Um, I'm just curious, Bob, after, after this game and now to kind of rub salt in the wounds, looking forward for the Titans. Um, realistically, I know you've kind of had low expectations for this, for this team throughout the year, but after today, I want, I just wanted to check in. Where is your expectations for this team? What do you think of them moving forward? Uh, just wanted to get your, get your opinion. Oh man, I didn't want to do this. I don't want to go on a rant here. I, I so I had a, a text conversation with one of my friends. Um, we've, we've talked about, it, I believe on the podcast, Mr. Sam Upman, a, a diehard chiefs fan, uh, actually one of the few men that, uh, I think is a a bold hater of of Adam on this podcast, but uh, I digress. I was having a conversation with him, and I'll go ahead and do this little little soapbox here. The Titans' offense is because of Derrick Henry, good, but because of that, they can't really evolve. And when you take away someone like Derrick Henry, they have no offense. And you know, for the future of this offense, you know, Ryan Tannehill is going to be gone in a year or two with that cap hit, and I mean. You're building around Malik Willis. You've got no real weapons outside Traylon Burks. Uh, the offensive line is C minus at best in the NFL. A lot of defensive pieces, but you're going to have to pay Jeff Simmons. And the, the franchise has said they don't know where that money's coming from. Adam, it feels like the window is closed. And it's been a great five or six years. And I really don't want to be that guy. I am. I don't want to be the the sky is falling here because it feels like if they beat Jacksonville next week, they're going to win the AFC South. They're going to host a playoff game where they probably inevitably break our hearts one more time. But it just feels like this team is not going to beat those Buffaloes, the Kansas Cities, the the Baltimores, the Cincinnatis. And it's just to me, it feels like this window for the Titans is closed from the last few years and been a hell of a ride I'm, they brought the franchise back to life but i don't know man it just as a fan i have no interest to go see this team live i don't have any interest in just putting my heart and soul into it every sunday and that's that's shitty up to the last few years but it just feels like this team the, the ceiling is low i don't know well bob um i it, it's nice to know that that you've hit a place of 
of acceptance almost. It's you know after I've come to peace with it. I've come to yeah, peace with it. Honestly, you know, Adam, after the Cincinnati game in January, where you know all the hope and all the dreams, and to have it dashed in that last second field goal, I felt like that was kind of the end of the window. They brought the boys back, but without AJ, and you know, you, you just you know Julio Jones. They're kind of switching out pieces. It just felt like this was kind of a, a last kind of ditch prayer. Um. So I've come to I've come to peace with it, Adam. I don't think this is uh, the Titans team that's going to do it. Yeah, that's you know, Bob. That's that's very mature of you. Uh, I guess before we move on, it's important to remember that the the Eagles are eleven and one. Um, so that's a that's a really cool thing. Um, the Eagles have won eleven football games, and on the other part of their record, they've only lost one. So that's pretty cool. And if we're going to be, you know. Ending this on a high point here, Adam. For the Titans' sake, the Indianapolis Colts gave up 33-0 to in the fourth quarter tonight. So, I mean, could be worse. Could be worse, man. You know, I've been watching a lot of, uh, watching a lot of the World Cup and something-something goal differential. So, I believe the AFC South's goal differential, the uh, Titans are playing well. I was going to say, and you know, well, obviously we'll get to these games breakdown here in a minute, but in the AFC South, you know, the other team lost to a rapist at quarterback and the other one had their franchise quarterback get hurt and lost to the money line. So, um, you know, hey, it could be worse. All right, Bob, you know, before we get too deep into the uh, too deep into the breakdown here, you know, you were talking about closed windows and uh, teams who may be coming to the end of their their glory, per se. And we saw one last kick at the bucket. The Packers 28, the Bears 19. The Bears looked really good early in this game. Justin Fields was running around making things happen. He's the athletic young quarterback that he is. But ladies and gentlemen, the gunslinger wearing number 12 for Green Bay comes back and reminds them just how much he owns the Chicago Bears. Aaron Rodgers, what a performance. Bob, did you catch any of this game? I did, Adam, you know, uh, with the Titans game being as lopsided as it was, that was the one perk. We got to watch a little bit more of the early window than we expected. And Bears fans, I got to tell you, uh, you know, usually I expect this dominance from Aaron Rodgers. I expect him to come away victorious. I can only imagine how they feel, Adam, because I got to be honest, at halftime, I thought they were going to win, too. I I thought that that game was pretty much over. I thought the Bears were going to roll. Especially with Justin Fields' legs just, you know, kind of taking over the game. You had that long touchdown run. And then you kind of blinked and the Packers were within one score. And then you blinked again and, wait a minute, they're leading? And then you you get the Bears, you know, they have a chance to take the lead there in the fourth quarter late. And in true, true Packers-Bears fashion with Aaron Rodgers at the helm, an interception and then one late touchdown, Christian Watson. I mean, it's just rinse, repeat, man. Rogers just ripping the Bears' hearts out, but even we got invested into it this time. I just can't even imagine what those Bears fans feel like, Adam. Yeah, I, you know, it's crazy because the more you watch this game year after year, we get to see it twice a year, the more it, it just, it's like Groundhog Day. It's the same thing over and over again. The Bears show a little bit of life early, and we start to think, is this the time? Could this be happening? And then all of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers shows up out of nowhere and reminds us, no, that's simply not how this worked. It's not how this has worked for the better part of two decades, and it's just simply not going to happen. And he slammed the door shut again today against all odds with, I don't know, can we name can we name maybe four Packers wide receivers right now? Because I don't think I can off the top of my head. I'm impressed that uh, Mercedes Lewis is still still catching pass, passes from him. I mean, he 
pretty sure he was on the first Jags team down in down in Duval. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, if, that guy's if, been around for years. If Mercedes Lewis had a model year on him, it would be roughly 2007 because it's it's he's getting pretty. He's getting up there in age, to say the least. Let's just say the Kelly Blue Book value's gone down a little bit on that one. But yeah, Randall Cobb too. It's 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 an old old group. You know, that's the thing with the Packers, like. They've got a sweet Madden 13 roster. Like, <laughs> like if if you just take them back in time, just a couple years, they've got a pretty sweet team. But, I mean, yikes. Uh, Father Time's undefeated, to say the least, Bob. Amen to that. They're an Eddie Lacy away from being good. But uh, A.J. <laughs> Dillon's uh, going to have to do. Well, um, speaking of a team who saw the effects of Father Time right in front of them with their legendary quarterback, Big Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers 19, the Falcons 16. You know, Bob, we saw a uh, classic Titans performance out of A.J. Brown. So Marcus Mariota felt like he wanted to jump on the train and just give you a vintage Tennessee Titans Marcus Mariota performance, a crippling late interception. Bob, did you catch any of this game? You just sent a shiver down my spine, you know, uh, an early touchdown to Michael Pruitt, then a late Mariota interception. Well, it just kind of feels like time does repeat itself. You talked about Groundhog Day earlier, and uh, you know, the the more time the more time goes on, the more things stay the same, Adam. And uh, I will say for the Steelers, they've reeled off a couple wins here. We kind of called them dead, just kind of you know trying to see what they've got for the future here. They're five and seven now. I'm not saying they're gonna you know make a wild card push here, but Credit to them, you know, Mike Tomlin's got, you know, the boys playing hard. Kenny Pickett's starting to kind of get a little bit more confident, and more than anything, that defense is playing lights out, getting T.J. Watt back. It's not not an easy team to play, and the Falcons, I mean, with that division being what it is, they really needed that game, and another tough, tough Mariota ending their back-to-back weeks now where they have lost very winnable games here, and, you know, when it gets to the end of January and the end of December, and those games are going to add up. This might be the stretch that the Falcons are looking back saying that was what cost us a divisional championship. Yeah, this felt like the one game a year where Najee Harris shows up and is very, very noticeable for whatever reason. He was running the ball incredibly hard today. Thought uh, he was really good after contact. But uh, I don't know. The Stewards are finding ways to win games right now. I think they've got just enough talent to make things interesting. Um, like you said, don't necessarily see a playoff push coming their way, but a team that's frisky, a team that you kind of got to watch out for when you're gambling. Um, another team that's kind of got that bill from us for the rest of the year here, the New York Jets, the baby Lear Jets, 22, the Vikings, 27. Um, the Vikings seem to have done a complete 180 on their luck, Bob, because last year, I don't know if they would have won this game, but a late stop from the defense somehow, Braxton Berrios just barely drops the ball from Mike White, and the Vikings end up winning this game. What do you think of this one, Bob? Yeah, I uh, was I was just kind of thinking that, uh, you know, the Jets had every opportunity to win here. Uh, the Vikings looked like they were going to get stopped at the goal line and kind of have a repeat of the Bills game kind of reverse on them there. But, um, you know, hey, they, they found a way to win. This Vikings team is winning close games late. They weren't doing that the last few years. We say it week in and week out, but it's, it's true. And this Jets team is not an easy game. Uh, that defense is great. Mike White's feels like, feels like he's turned a corner with that offense. I mean, they're moving the ball well, but, uh, you know, credit to the Vikings. They held the Jets to, I think, three field goals in the second half, which, I mean, was the difference. That was the difference right there. They bent but didn't 
they bent but didn't break when it mattered. And, and don't break. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Jets are so close, but it feels like they're a year or two away still. Yeah, no, we love some good defense, and that's exactly what the Vikings did all day. Um, nobody was necessarily the star of the show for the Vikings today. Um, obviously, Justin Jefferson, whenever he's on the field, it's hard to ignore him. He scored today. But Kirk Cousins um, existed, found a way to win the game. Dalvin Cook ran well. I think he had some about 20 rushes, about 85-some on yards, but just found a way to put it, tune in and just kind of turn in a complete offensive performance from the Vikings here. Um, as far as the Jets go, it's got to be frustrating if you're on this Jets defense because they're consistently doing enough to win football games and the offense just can't seem to get it done, whether it's Zach Wilson, Mike White, Joe Flacco, whoever you want to put a quarterback there. Um, it's just a shame because obviously with this loss, as we talked about, they now have to claim all of Brett Favre's wrongdoings. Um, anything that, you know, Brett Favre has done wrong in the public eye now belongs to the Jets. So sorry, Jets fans. Uh, it only gets worse from here. You, you hate to you hate to see that. Uh, that's a lot of debt that's coming back onto those Jets fans, and uh, yeah. you know, I for one hate to see that. I feel like some of it should go to LT since that Jets team was kind of just some washed up uh, vets. But um, you know, hey, uh, maybe he can text some of the Bill to Jen Sturger. I, I digress. Yeah. yeah, well, Antonio Cromarty has entered the chat. Um, speaking of entering the chat, Bob, it's the Money Lions, and I may have picked against them this week, but that is because I am an idiot. Money Lions 40, Jaguars 14, Trevor Lawrence's knee almost I, I got sent to oblivion in this game. Luckily, he's okay. Bob, what do you think of this one? I don't know how he came back. I assumed that his career was over, but uh, I, I, I looked at the fantasy cast. All of a sudden, he was still throwing passes late in the third quarter, so um, I don't know what they gave him down there in Duval, uh, what the juice is down there, but um, hey, you know they, they've got him back upright. They need him for the stretch. Um I thought this game would be a lot closer here. Uh, two teams that are young, uh, kind of fighting to to learn how to win. You know, we said the Lions, especially at the beginning of the year, they just found every way to lose. And it feels like karma's kind of righted the ship there. And the universe always seems to balance out, uh, maybe sometimes more extreme than others here, because the Lions, I believe, was at four out of five now. Um, and I mean, that offense is just, it, it's smooth. Amon Ra looks good. Jamal Williams is a touchdown machine. You've got uh, DeAndre Swift getting in the end zone now. A lot of weapons now, and if you get Jamison Williams into the fold now, if he's healthy in a couple weeks, look out. This Lions team might be the NFC's best team, or the NFC North's best team next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. This might be a team to watch in the future. A lot of potential in Detroit, which I feel weird saying, but the future's bright. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I haven't seen this much potential in Detroit since the 20s. But here we are. We've got an assembly line of talent running through at Ford Field. Who would have thought? But, yeah, I like what they're doing offensively. Shout out to Jared Goff, man. He was kind of the throw-in on that trade with Matt Stafford and kind of the forgotten piece, but has played incredibly well, has made all the throws that they need him to, and has really kind of been a steadying force for that Lions team who has otherwise been pretty young and exciting. But, all credit to Jared Goff because he's played incredibly well and he deserves it. I don't think anybody expected him to kind of be able to right the ship on his career the way he was when he got moved to the Lions. But all credit to him. He's he's kind of found a way to have a very productive second half of his career in Detroit, Bob. This is kind of the weird time where 
both teams won in this Rams-Lions trade. I mean, yeah, the Lions or the Rams are going to be really bad probably for the next couple of years. And that, you know, pick that they gave the Lions is probably going to be a top five pick. But, you know, they got a Super Bowl out of it. It worked out. And, you know, for the Lions, Jared Goff's playing pretty darn good. They've got a great first round pick coming. And, uh, you know, it just feels like everyone kind of feels happy there. I don't know. I love it when I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah, you know, every now and again, it is good to see, you know, a plan, you know, trade between two teams. Everything works out for everyone involved. And then there's the Deshaun Watson trade. Ladies and gentlemen, the trade that worked out for nobody, including the public. And I can't say it. I got to say it because in journalistic integrity, something, blah, 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 blah. The Browns 27, the Texans 14. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um. Bob, did you watch this game? I did, I did not. I did not watch this game, allegedly. Um, I think for every Browns recap, I'm just going to say allegedly. Um, it just feels yeah. like the, the best way to do it. Um, but uh, Adam, really impressed here, and we'll get to the other game later, but um, the Denver Broncos and the Cleveland Browns, neither one scored an offensive touchdown today. One game, a team lost by one point. The other, the team won by, I believe, three possessions. Uh, two, two possessions, I believe. Cleveland got outscored two to zero on offensive touchdowns today, if you want to do the math there. And yet Houston still lost 27-14. Make it make sense. I, I don't understand it. I just felt like this was one of those games where you just kind of let the Ouija board handle it and... I'm glad Deshaun Watson didn't find any success here, but I'm still unhappy that the Cleveland Browns found success. It's not right. Yeah, it, it was one of those things that you kind of had to turn your turn your head away and kind of just look at the box score at the end of it. But um, it was good to see Deshaun Watson uh, throw that interception in the back of the end zone. He kind of anytime you see the no look interception, Jameis Winston style, um, especially out of the back of the end zone, just a chef's kiss of a turnover there. But um, yeah, not a whole lot to say about this one other than, I mean, tech, the Texans are the worst team in the NFL. That's all this game proved to me. Point blank, the Texans are simply the worst team in the NFL. Do we think that Lovey Smith genuinely makes it through the year? I guess I guess there's no harm in firing him until afterwards, but the, he's gone after this year, right? This is a stopgap year. has to be. I mean, is it? Realistically, though, what, who else are you going to run out and hire? But I, I mean, is it really Lovey's fault or is it that roster? I guess that's the other thing. I, I'm, who could win with that roster? No one. Davis I mean, it's Mills, Damian Pierce. I mean, half of Brandon Cooks when he wants to play. That I mean, Rex Burkhead is your other weapon. Like, it's isn't it's the idea good. isn't the idea of OJ Howard still on that team? Yes, but no, but yes. Okay. But, but no. it's the but it's the idea of OJ Howard. It's not actually OJ Howard. Yes. They need you to listen to me carefully. It's the idea of OJ Howard. Yes, yes. OJ is guilty of being on this team. <laughs> well, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Um, Bob Russell Wilson. I don't think he wears gloves when he's playing. But at this point, if there's one thing that's been made abundantly clear, I do not think he was the right fit for this Broncos team. 
somehow, some way, Lamar Jackson goes out in this game and the Ravens still find a way to win. Shout out to Tyler Hundley, 10 to 9. Is this finally rock bottom for the Broncos, Bob? I don't know. I assume that this was the week where they break through just because the run defense was good and they're playing a run heavy team and everything went to plan. Everything went to plan. Everything I called happened. And then the Broncos broncoed at the very end when life figured out a way to happen. It did. Um, it's just, here's, here's my thing, Adam. Everyone wants to blame Russ. Everyone wants to blame Nathaniel Hackett. You've got a rookie head coach who is having growing pains, and you've got a veteran quarterback who has play, who's played at a high level before, and you're paying to play at a high level. Even if it is the coaching staff, a high-level quarterback you're paying like that has to overcome the coaching, and he's not. And I'm sure Hackett will get the, you know, the axe at the end because he's the one more expendable and they've invested more into Russ. But quite frankly, it's bullshit that he's going to be the one that's, that is at fault because – at the end of the day, the ball is in Russell Wilson's hands, and he is not playing. He's not performing like he's getting paid, and it, it's a damn shame. No, I think at the end of the day, when you're getting paid upwards of $200 million, you are going to shoulder a lot of the blame from a fan base, whether you deserve it or not. And, you know, we could go into the All-22 and break down whether or not Russell Wilson's to blame for everything that's going wrong, or... When you put yourself out there and you kind of make yourself the target for criticism and things like that, I, I just think we're kind of having to see Russ reap what he sows a little bit here. And he's always been out there. He's always been a guy who kind of tends to live his life publicly like that and kind of will put a lot of his stuff on social media. And, you know, when things are going the other direction, it's it's kind of hard to stay. It's kind of hard to stay with that personality in a locker room and keep a locker room. So. It's no surprise to me that he's kind of lost the room a little bit. Um, I just don't know what he does to get it back at this point, Bob, because he's already a year in and he's almost completely worn out as welcome. I mean, half the team went to the birthday party. Half of them went. So I guess next year a quarter will be there. I, we're, I guess we'll we'll be able to tell how good the Broncos are trending next year by the attendance at his birthday party. That's how I'll know. Yeah, and also, I just want to know, is there, like, a sign-in sheet at this event? Like, do you think Sierra's got, like, a check-in table at his house to make sure that, you know, not not too many people are coming in, they've got enough food for people? Or how? Do, I need to know how we're getting the exact numbers in at Russell Wilson's birthday party. Maybe That's they measured by the depth chart. There was enough to field one half of it, like, maybe the first team offense and the second team defense, and uh, one half came and the other – I. I'm sure there was a Russell, way that they measured it here. Russell Wilson feels like every football party that like you ever had to, to where your coach somehow makes you earn it. So you have to do like a walkthrough before you have a pizza party. Like that feels like Russell Wilson's birthday party yes. to me. It's like, hey, you know what? We're we'll go in the pool, but not not until we work on our two minute drill. It just feels like one of those things that we need to balance out. Just we we got some work to do. Come on, man. Let's get some a air high fives. A yes, rehearsal. A rehearsal. Address reversal. Nathan Fielder and, and Russell Wilson, dangerously close to being the same person. Let's ride. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Wow, that's 
that's something. But, you know, Bob, speaking of great actors, you mentioned Nathan Fielder. We're going to head to L.A. and talk about the Seahawks versus the Rams because the Seahawks are acting like they're going to be the NFC West champion, and the Rams are acting like they were nowhere near a Super Bowl last year. Seahawks 27, Rams 23. What do you think of this game, Bob? You look at the Seahawks, and we talk about Russell Wilson in the last preview and, you know, his struggles, and everyone in Seattle is just smiling. You know they've got to be so happy. The way Geno Smith's playing, it's, the, it's one of the best stories in the, the league this season, Adam. I'm so happy to see it. You always talk about all these, you know, blue-chip quarterbacks and all these stars leading the teams, and Geno Smith playing at a high level all season, you always wait for it to come back down to earth. He hasn't, and that's the thing. You know, they're 7-5. and five. They're tied for first, I believe, in the division, or one game back regardless. I mean, they're right in the fight. That's all you can ask for. And the Seahawks team's playing tough. They, you know, they're winning games ugly, but they're winning. Even without Kenneth Walker today, they beat a Rams team that seemed fired up. You got Bobby Wagner playing his old team. And, you know, at the end of the day, Geo Smith led a drive to, to take the lead when they needed him to. That's That's all you can ask for. Yeah, I mean, they're doing just enough every week to win football games. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of ego on this team. It just seems next man up, you do you do your job, you do what it takes to win the football game. And sometimes in the NFL, that that's kind of what it takes, that little bit of selflessness and kind of having that no-star attitude and a really strong leader in Pete Carroll. It just seems like the Seahawks have found some sort of winning formula and we knew that the NFC West was going to be a stronger division, but I don't think anybody saw the Seahawks coming out on top of it, Bob. I I don't think anyone would have ever guessed that. They would have said the Seahawks were by far the worst team in that division. Uh, losing Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, Drew Locke, whoever was going to be quarterback, uh, was just going to get get them to you know four or five wins maybe, uh, and you know they'll play for next year. And to see him, not only you know playing average he's playing at a high level dark horse mvp still i don't think it's over yet between hurts between mahomes between allen you know smith's up there and that's crazy to say here it's december adam and we're talking about geo smith still i love it you know the more geno smith talk the better for this league because i mean it just comes out of absolute left field nobody saw this coming and it's just a good story bob i mean Let's face facts. If you were going to look at the NFC West at the beginning of the season, one of the teams you may have thought was going to be on top of things were the San Francisco 49ers. Um, obviously, young Shula, Mike McDaniel, and his homecoming game goes back to San Francisco. Santa Clara and loses 17-33. to um, But all signs point to the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo, my Italian stallion, goes out in this game does not seem to be able to come back for the rest of the year. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, leading the Niners to a win. Bob, what what do you make of this Niners team tonight and then moving forward with their what was a quarterback continuing? Well, I'll make it quick here because I'll, I'll let you have the floor on the Garoppolo eulogy and the, the Niners future. I'm going to let you have that one here, Adam, but um... – you know, Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, Iowa State. You know, some people thought he'd be a high-level draft pick a couple of years ago. Good to see him come in and seize the moment. You know, obviously, he's coming into a very loaded offense. Uh, they're not asking him, I don't think, to do too terribly much here. But still, hey, you know, when you're thrown in that moment, some people piss themselves, and he did not. So credit to Brock. He's going to have to keep doing it. We'll see, uh, you know, how high he can take them, if he can keep them at that level. Um 
that's kind of what they're asking Jimmy to do is game manage. So we'll see if he can keep that level going. And if not, Gino and the boys, they haven't been, they wrote Gino off. He hasn't written back. We'll see if the Niners write back yet. But uh, Adam, uh, I'm sorry for your loss more than anything. The Eagles won, but uh, in the end, you still lost here. I'm sorry. You know, um, when I came out on a limb and made my bold prediction that Trey Lance was somehow going to get sat and Jimmy Garoppolo was going to win the uh, NFC West for the San Francisco 49ers, this was not something that I uh, I factored into that simulation. Um, you know, I, there was something sad about seeing Jimmy go down. It was it was like watching watching a family member that you could do nothing nothing about. You just know that he's struggling, but you just saw him and they caught as they caught him off there. And oh, Jim, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. But Brock Purdy, anytime you get to see Mister Irrelevant come onto the field. What I will say, and you touched on it, Bob, this offense has a lot of weapons. And Brock Purdy right now seems a lot like the high school kid who finally got tossed the keys to his father's car, and his dad happens to drive a Corvette, and it's one of the new mid-engine Corvettes. And all he's got to do is find a way to get it from point A to point B without massively screwing it up. And that will be Brock Purdy's challenge for the rest of the year. It, He's got a Corvette. He's got a team that he can essentially put it on autopilot and this team will make the playoffs. That being said, when it comes time to where a quarterback may have to win you a game, I don't think this bodes well for the future of the 49ers season. I just think, uh, you know, Trey Lance going down is one thing because at least you got Jimmy G. Jimmy G going down. Unless Brock Purdy is the second coming and I just haven't seen it yet, I uh I'm worried about the Niners moving forward, Bob. And, you know, you mentioned the quarterback health. They're playing the Dolphins, who, you know, Tua got hurt. He got his ankle hurt, I believe, at the end of the game. But, uh, you know, a team that historically this season has tried to kill their quarterbacks meets another team that's tried to kill their quarterbacks. And in the end, both quarterbacks died. It is really impressive that, uh, you know, once again, these teams keep their reputations up. Uh, and the Niners just refuse to have a healthy quarterback. And in so the Dolphins do too. I am so impressed. Uh, if you had the under in this game, it was truly heartbreaking. I'm sorry I rode that with you. Um, that late fumble recovery for the Niners to take it back in. Uh, no need to run it up on beautiful young Shula, but I digress. Uh, for the Dolphins, not a great loss. But, you know, they're in the hunt still for the wild card. They're still on the Bills' hills, and, uh, you know, a lot to play for moving forward for young Shula. Yeah, it, it, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why I didn't give the Dolphins more of a chance in this game, probably because the Niners do have so many weapons. But for as high as I've been on the Dolphins all year, it was very, very weird for me to feel like the Niners were very clearly going to win this game. But even then, I'm looking at the final score, and I'm not shocked by this at all. So all credit to the Niners for taking care of business, all things considered. Um, Bob, we're going to move on really quickly to the Chargers and the Raiders. Obviously, on Thursday, I think these two teams should switch cities. And honestly, in this game, it's kind of like they switched outcomes, at least in my head. Raiders 27, Chargers 20. Heck of a game from Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, much to my chagrin. Bob, what say you about this one? Well, Adam, you talk about cities that uh, should swap teams. 
Oh, have you looked at the schedule for next week yet? Have you looked at the Thursday night game for next week yet? Can't say that I have. Oh, it is the Raiders at the Rams. And can you talk about uh, an away team being the home team the home team in that game? Um, Yikes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. SoFi is going to be black and silver, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Big time. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, as far as the Raiders here, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think that they are the second best team in the AFC West. And you and I, you know, we fell for the Kool-Aid that everyone else did coming into the season. The AFC West was this gauntlet. On paper, it is. And I still think, you know, when you're playing them on the field, it's a tough division. Uh, but for whatever reason, these teams' records are just not what we thought they were going to be. Uh, you look at the Raiders, it feels like they're finally clicking a little bit. Devontae Adams in the last five weeks, uh, I know we talked about his stat line off-air off ad. He is just on a on a warpath here. He's Denzel Washington, man on fire. Let me tell you what, he's just cooking out there. Um, you've got Josh Jacobs. I, I call him Bo Sanders or, or uh, Bo Jackson, Barry Sanders with this fifth year getting turned down. I mean, he's just playing lights out. Uh, they're finally all, all cylinders rolling, and it feels like this is the Raiders team I expected. Meanwhile, the Chargers add, don't look now, they're 6-6. Six and six. Can we talk about how disappointing that is? You can talk about the injuries all you want. doesn't matter. It, Brandon Staley is not getting the slander. Justin Herbert's not getting the slander. This team is 6-6, six and six and they should be better. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's always good to see the Chargers bowl eligible. Um, as far <laughs> as disappointed goes, Bob, um, I don't think the San Diego slash Los Angeles slash whatever city you'd like them to be from Chargers could ever disappoint me because I'm at the point to where I don't expect anything from them anymore. I mean, they've consistently supposed to be, there's always supposed to be this team that's supposed to come out and set the world on fire and for years, you saw it. They had great teams. Philip Rivers with Indian Tomlinson. And then even recently with Justin Herbert, they just find ways to not win football games. They feel like the new Lions in that way um, to oh, where they no. just consistently are finding ways to lose games. And, yeah, their rosters are always a little bit better. But at the end of the day, they always end up in the same place. Um, just, I don't know, this game – the more you look at it, I mean, it's just the way the Raiders were able to take advantage of the Chargers' turnovers today and score points with shot plays immediately after, um, and the way that Derek Carr and Devontae Adams finally seemed to have a little bit of a spark to get things going, um, just a, a performance from the Chargers. They just came out flat, and, you know, of course they're hurt, and that's the excuse we make for the Chargers every year, but I, I'm kind of with you, Bob. What? At what point do we start looking at Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley and say, okay, which one of you is the issue? Because clearly they have an issue right now. I don't believe that Justin Herbert in his career, and I'll have to look this up, but I know as of, uh, I believe, midway through this season, and I know they strung together a couple wins after that, he had never been over 500 in his career. And same with Staley. Nobody really talks about, you know, the Chargers kind of underperforming the last few years with all the talent they've got. And they, you know, they put in a lot of money into this team. They got Khalil Mack. They've got the Bosa's. They've got Derwin James. They paid a lot of money this offseason for the guys to, you know, beat the Chiefs. And this team is fighting for a wild card spot. It's not what they had in mind. And it's not acceptable, in my opinion, for what their expectations were. 
Yeah, it, it just seems like every year we come up with these sky-high expectations for the Chargers, and each, every year they find a way to somehow fall just shorter of the very insane expectations we set for them at the beginning of the year. And for them to be sitting at 6-6 six and six at this part of their season, it just it, it can't be good if you're a fan. And, I mean, nationally, it just seems like the same old Chargers. And that's just – they're starting to get this stink about them, Bob. And anytime a, a franchise starts to get that stink, it's just not not anything you recover well from. So interesting to see moving forward how, uh, how the Chargers are able to handle the rest of their season if they can't get on the right foot. But anyway – We'll move on. Bob, a team that has been consistently dominant, was finally slain today. It's the Chiefs, the teams that everybody is setting themselves up to beat, and the Bengals finally got the job done today, 27-24. Bob, what did you make of this game? Probably the best game of the day here, Ad, if I'm going to be honest here. Um, This was on my main TV in the afternoon slate just because it was back and forth. You get two great quarterbacks. Joe Burrow is the only person that has beaten Patrick Mahomes in three straight games. I count one, two, three, three straight games. If you're a Chiefs fan, you got to hate the Bengals. I couldn't imagine how you couldn't here. As a Titans fan, I don't like them just for the same reason. They beat you in these tight, meaningful games here. And, you know, no Joe Mixon here. You get Jamar Chase back, and the Bengals found another way to win. Uh, Slow start. That Super Bowl hangover was definitely real, but, uh, you know, the Bengals went on the road and beat Tennessee last week in a game where they kind of had to grind it out. And then this week they go into a game where you're at home, but still against the Chiefs team and you grind it out, but you have to put up points and they win in a different way. It, if you're in the AFC, you've got to watch out for these Bengals. They're going to be a tough out. And it, it just feels like Joe Burrow's got the team clicking, getting Jamar Chase back. Adam, this team is dangerous. They're red hot and I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, um, I'm with you there. I think there's still a few too many problems with the offensive line for me to be very excited about the Bengals. And on top of that, Bob, watching this game, the Chiefs just didn't execute. I mean, they just they found a way to kind of lose this game. I feel like there was definitely chances for them to pull ahead, kind of take the lead, and just seem to have mistakes all day, mistake lead in football, and you just can't win like that, especially against a young, hungry team like the Bengals. They're going to make you pay if you kind of go into that lull, and it seemed like today um, we didn't see the same Patrick Mahomes. We kind of got a little bit of that lull, and it's the NFL. you got to play all 60 minutes or else you're going to get beat, and that's what we in, saw. I mean, Take note, Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about a good 45-minute performance, but you know, all credit anyway, to the Bengals. Anyway. Yeah, the Bengals <laughs> showed up and they played a full 60 and found a way to beat the Chiefs. This is a huge win for them, a huge, you know, huge way to get for the for them to get momentum at home. Um I, I can't say enough about this win for the Bengals. It feels like this may give them the confidence to kind of propel them through the rest of the season, Bob. This is a stretch where, you know, when Baltimore loses Lamar Jackson. Uh, and then, you know, Cincinnati's won a couple of these games in a row, especially back-to-back with Tennessee and now Kansas City. Playoff teams, you know, these are the stretches where you can really turn your season and, you know, take it from, oh, we'll, we'll sneak in from a wild card to, hey, we're right in the division hunt. With Lamar going down, this stretch might be the difference. You never know. And uh, for the Bengals, with that offense, they can score at any time. They get a couple stops on defense. It's just like last year. Who can beat them? Anyone. Anyone can. Or any, who can they beat? Anyone. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think as they get as they keep going here, it's it just don't you don't want to see the Bengals when they get hot. They've got too many weapons. They've got too many young guys that are a little bit unpredictable, and it'll be interesting to see how things continue here, Bob. Um, Luckily, this is not the end of our football week. We get a lovely NFC South treat between the Saints and the Bucks. Um, I say that uh, tongue in cheek, of course, because any, I don't know what it is, Bob. Anytime we put the NFC South in primetime, it just feels like it's going to be a drag. So what, 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 what do you make of this one? I don't have much to say here. I wouldn't be shocked if there's no touchdown scored here, to be quite honest, um, with the division as bad as it is. Somebody's going to win, and there's my analysis. There will be a football team that wins the game that is played Monday night. Well, I actually, Ad, we say that, but there's one game we skipped today. What? And I I know that – actually, I'm realizing why you've you've completely looked over it because – it probably didn't even happen in your in your life, but um, no, no. Actually, we did talk about Reds, or we did talk about Command Skins and, and Giants, didn't we? Did no, we, we talk did about it. that? Okay, no, we, we did. did okay, it. I purposely okay. saved the time for the okay. end. We lo- okay. we talk about wins, and then we talk about losses, and then we talk about ties here on the Breaking Balls podcast. I so- started to second guess myself. I genuinely started to second guess myself and thought. You know, it's almost midnight over here, Central Time. I thought, am I just delusional? Did we talk about this game and I forgot? <laughs> no. Okay. No, we did not. There was nope. a game that did. We, we we talk about somebody having to win in this NFC South game Monday night. I guess it's not a given ad because in the NFC Beast, it's so strong. It's so tough. It's, you know, these two teams are so deadlocked. They couldn't even decide who to win. So they gave it up yeah. and said, a gentleman's draw, handshake at midfield. What do we do? Does Taylor Heineke get like Crocs, or like what? What? What do we do for ties? I mean, he gets one shoe, a singular shoe. Oh Let me tell God. you what, though, that handshake at midfield for a draw between Brian Dable and Ron Rivera—that's the manliest, goddamned handshake for a tie I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I mean, when you got twenty points coming in on one side and twenty points coming at the other, meeting in midfield like that—I mean, that is twenty twenty perfect football vision, folks. That is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, two teams that you know we talked about it on Thursday. We have no idea one team's rising, one team's falling, and they met perfectly in the middle at twenty points, and no more, no less. Each team scored twenty points, and we got the hell out of there. That's called trending in the direction and meeting right in the middle of the diagram. Like that's yeah. that's that's the point right there, ladies and gentlemen. The x-axis presented to you by the New York Football Giants and the Washington Commandskins, and that's all I really have to say about that game. I mean, what a tie! That's breaking balls geometry right there. There you go. Yep. Amen. Um, well, we may as well continue on as we. As we do transition from the NFL to the college game, um, Bob College Championship Conference week, Conference Championship Week, that was a mouthful for me, and chaos, per usual. Um, we may as well start on Friday. Um, USC and Utah. Um, there's no way that Utah can beat USC twice, right? There's just no way. I, I'm I'm a moron. I would like to say that the public was all over USC, and usually I jump on that and you know fade the public. 
I thought to myself, you know what? I actually think that USC is going to win this game too. And I fell right into the trap too. So I am one of those idiots. Hello, my name is Bob Perry. I thought USC would wipe the floor with Utah. And you know what, Kyle Whittingham, Cam Rising, laugh at me. Laugh at me. I'm the coward. I'm the idiot. Yep. Um, so you said you happen to be a moron. No, 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 Bob. It's Utah. You're a Mormon. So uh, that's yes. just, yes, that's just one of those things. Um, Caleb Williams coming out aggressively with the fuck Utah painted on his fingers. Um, just a just a big yikes when you lose the game like that, and especially for him to come out and kind of get hurt and be banged up. But just goes to show you, um, Lincoln Riley was driving the Caleb Williams car all year, um, was able to drive it to a conference championship game, but sadly forgot to take it to the mechanic before the game, just – Blew a tire there at the end, and I mean, it's a shame. You would have loved to see, you know, as a as a West Coast football fan, you'd have loved to see a Pac-12 representative in the playoff. But here we are. The Pac-12 cannibalization continues, and we're going to have to wait another year, Bob. It's ironic because USC is ahead of schedule right now, but they're also already where they're going to be. Because yes, it's year one, and Lincoln got them to the Pac-12 championship, and uh, I I maybe a New Year's Six Bowl. I haven't looked at what they what they got Cotton here. Cotton Bowl. Cotton Bowl. Okay, there you go. So that New Year's Six Bowl. There you go. Um, so ahead of schedule, but also right on track because Lincoln Riley gets you to the postseason and then falls apart. Um, you know they're right on cue, just like he has been the last five years. And Caleb Williams masks a lot of those issues for USC having a great quarterback. You know when he's one dimensional and he's hurt. Uh, you know, those receivers were no-shows. I'm not sure if it was because Caleb was missing them, if there was separation issues. But, you know, Utah took Utah took away everything they needed to. They hit him in the mouth. The line of scrimmage was non-existent for USC on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, in true Lincoln-Riley fashion, again, they got, they got physically beaten up in the postseason. And that's something that they got to change. And that's something that historically hasn't changed. We'll see if it... it it's more of the same or if that's something that USC gets different. You know, um, I have, I have seen, I don't even know, Bob, I, I don't even have a joke for it as much as it was just USC's tackling in that game. A hot knife through butter and whatever you wanted to call it. It was just abysmal. I mean, I don't know. Who needs to be fired or what the heck needs to happen? I don't know if they need f more full-speed practices, but, I mean, I guess if you're going to look at the bright side for USC, this does give them a chance to win their final game of the season because um, they were not going to beat Georgia. So they got Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. Um, obviously, maybe you could make the argument that year one with Lincoln Riley, this isn't the worst place for USC to be, um, but – not at all. You got you got to hope you got to know that with expectations being where they were that this is going to be massively disappointing to your USC fan base, which is crazy to me because when you consider where they've been in the past few years, including gainfully employing Clay Helton, might I add, um, this is a massive step up. So, um, as a US as a USC um, local per se, I will say, keep your head up. Um, this. This seems to be getting better there in beautiful South Central Los Angeles, but um, be anxious to see where where Lincoln Riley and the fellas head next year, um, especially with no Caleb Williams.
It is not the end of watch for the Trojans, that's for sure. Not yet in South Central. No, can't say it is. So, um, Well, we can move on. Um, the next day, obviously, we got into a little bit more chaos and calamity because we had K-State and TCU. Once again, have no idea how TCU is going to lose the game, and they did. So this was what I actually had a feeling about, though, though. Bob, uh, I I was on K State early in the day. Just felt like a game that they were going to beat TCU. What what say you about this game, Bob? Yeah, you know TCU played with fire all year. Uh, Max Duggan led a hell of a comeback at the end there. He was physically exhausted. Had to be like helped off the field there at the end of regulation, uh, but just you know refused to let them go down without a fight. And ultimately, that fight from TCU, I think, is what you know. We'll get to the playoff preview here, but you know. They made sure that if they were going to lose this game, that it was going to be so close that they had to leave no doubt. And that was the only way that TC really had to you know, be safe uh, without you know being sweating going into the Sunday morning. And uh, I feel like, you know, losing in overtime against the top 10 team, you know, Deuce Vaughn, incredible athlete. Uh, you know, obviously Christian, our, our, our boy, our, our big 12 analyst that we had on last week. Um, he was in person for that. You know, he was talking about Deuce Vaughn is so small, but he's mighty. And you got to see that in person on Saturday. Ad, you know, willed them past TCU. But at the end of the day, two teams that really, I mean, not a lot to separate them there. And, you know, I'm glad to see TCU didn't get burned for playing in their conference championship game more than anything. Yeah, 100%. Um it just goes to show you, maybe if USC would have lost a little bit closer, there's a little bit more debate. We'll get into that a little bit later. But, um, you know, all credit to TCU for going out and doing what they had to do. I think a big part of why you saw them gamble on that fourth down in overtime was because I think they realized, you know, they had done enough. They had done enough to kind of solidify their their spot, and they knew that win, lose, or draw in that game, they, they were likely going to make their way into the playoffs. and. You know, it was a close game. Hard to beat a team twice in one year, but I mean, you would have liked to see them win that game, Bob. And just for the record here, on that third and goal right before the fourth down stop in overtime, TCU had scored. I don't know why they didn't review that, but I digress. He was in. I'm not sure if the Pac-12 refs had just made their way down to Fort Worth, but um, he he was 100% in. Well. There's a strong chance that if there's a bad refereeing decision somewhere, there's a Pac-12 ref behind it. So, just, just playing the odds. Um, we'll touch on the other two games really quickly. Um, Michigan beat Purdue, no surprises there. And Georgia absolutely mollywopped LSU. That game was never close. Um, Bob, any any comments on either of those two games? Uh, Georgia is very, very good. Uh, I don't think that's any shock. Purdue gave Michigan a fight, but, you know, at the end, Michigan just pulls away. Uh, Adam, there was a game in the ACC, and I just want to mention, DJU made it two drives before he got pulled, and he is entering the transfer portal. So uh, if anyone needs a quarterback, there's a gently used Clemson Tiger for sale. Uh, Joe Exotic, he is not for sale. Everyone else, he is for sale. There oh, you go. goodness. I was hoping that he was going to end up at the Big Cat Rescue down in Florida with Carol Baskin. So, guess we'll not have to quite, wait. And see. Not quite. The only, the only, uh, res the only Tiger Reserve he's going to end up down there maybe uh, down with Gus Malzahn at UCF. But other than that, uh, it'll be okay. Ooh, yikes! Well, Bob, 
Um, we finally have our final four set for the college football playoff. We've got Georgia, we've got Michigan, we've got TCU, and we have the Ohio State University. Um, I have my opinions on this, Bob, so why don't you go ahead and give yours? What What do you think of these final four teams? Totally fine with it, Ad. Uh, you know, this is actually one of the years where you could realistically probably make the BCS work just because there are two clear teams, I think, that are, are probably the most deserving here. But that being said, you've got to play four. You've got to make it interesting here. TCU deserves to be in 100% just being a regular season undefeated. As long as they didn't get blown out, and even if they got blown out, to me, I think they should be in. You can't. I, Ohio State, I'm fine with putting them in. Once USC lost, I think TCU was safe. I think that was just foregone to me. Um, that being said, I, I'm a I'm a man that loves to watch the betting lines just because I feel like that's a great sense of you know what's actually going to happen, whether it's fair or not. You can debate me on that. When TCU was down in the fourth quarter, I believe 10 points. Alabama was plus 1,200 to win the college football playoff, and TCU was, I think, plus 1,800. When it went to overtime, TCU had not won the game yet, but when it went to overtime, Alabama was completely off the board, and TCU was 10 to 1. They're still 10 to 1, by the way, but that meant that as soon as they got to overtime, they were in, as far as at least Vegas has thought. Agreed. You could not take that team out over at Alabama, a Tennessee, a USC, a Clemson. Doesn't matter who. Two losses versus one loss to a top 10 team rematch in the conference championship. You can't punish TCU for playing another game against the team they already beat. That's just, for me, it would have been it would have been an injustice, and I would have had to reevaluate how much time I give college football. All right, and let me give you this hypothetical really quickly, Bob, because let's say that USC goes out against Utah, and that game is close. They maybe go to double overtime, and USC ends up losing that game. Do you still think Ohio State gets in above USC? Oh, yes, 100%. 100%. I, USC, is, it doesn't matter how they lose. If USC lost, I think they're out. Really? See, that's my thing. I just think... They had two losses. <laughs> doesn't They had two chances to beat Utah. Yeah, I guess you're right. But I, I just, for whatever reason, I just think there's got to... I don't know. There's got to be a way to not punish these teams for losing their conference title games. But I don't know. I guess looking at it objectively, I mean, if you're going to keep a team out, this USC team would be the one that you had to because they lost to the same team twice. So, I mean, I guess, you know, when you objectively look at it, you do see how they kept them out. I just don't necessarily see what Ohio State did to get in because they got creamed by a Michigan team and they didn't play a strong schedule all year. So I just don't I don't necessarily love Ohio State being the team they got put in because I don't quite get it. But one loss, I guess, and it's to a good team. So I was going to say one know. loss to the, the second ranked team. Uh, USC got a chance for their you know loss to to redeem themselves on a neutral field, and they didn't. And you know two losses versus one, and Utah has, has three losses. If Utah was Georgia, that'd be one thing, but. You know, for me, they had their chance to redeem themselves. That was their ticket to get in. And, you know, I'm, I hate saying this. I'm actually fine with Ohio State being in. I, it feels gross to me, but um, yeah, just I think it feels like it shaked out okay. Yeah, just there's something about Ohio State getting in that just feels kind of gross to me. So I'm trying to think of ways that I'm with I, can avoid, I can avoid having to kind of like rationalize that in my head. But I, I don't know. I mean, it, I just, you know, I, 
I think we heard a lot from the Tennessee fans because why wouldn't we? But let's remind them that they lost pretty handily to South Carolina and their starting quarterback is dead. So uh, not necessarily sure what they're bitching about. Um, it was always It's always funny, though, to see Nick Saban whenever his team is not in a playoff position. The uh, Saturday and Sunday before the selection committee goes and they kind of pick who's going to get in. The lobbying that he gets to do on ESPN and everything. Always interesting to see old Coach Saban get on the get on the horn and start talking about how Alabama was a good two-loss team. So always interesting to see, Bob. It was, it was funny to watch him on the Big, Tel- the Big 12 halftime show on the Fox crew. Urban Meyer asking him, you know, why do you think you should be in? It's, it's just so great. It, it's so it's so great for TV. I love it. Well, everybody hates politics until it's time to actually, you know, sit down and figure out who's going to be in the college football playoff. And then we'd like to hear everybody's side of the story. You know, we'd like to like to hear where they stand on the issues. You know, it's why I love this sport more than anything. You never know what you're going to get, but it's not going to be the same thing. And it's going to leave your head scratched and wanting more. Amen, Bob. And, you know, we're headed towards jet watching season. So. It's kind of the best time in college football when when the private jets start flying everywhere and we're tracking them from regional airport to regional airport. Should be an interesting one. But, you know, Bob, we're finally headed to bowl season. Um, We'll probably have a big bowl breakdown at some point, kind of get everything situated for all of our degenerate gamblers out there. But, you know, we've got Army-Navy coming up, Bob. But what, what do you make of the college football regular season to this point? Wrapping Wrapping it up real quick. Yeah, you know, a lot of upsets. It felt like that there was a lot of parity this year, um, whether it was within the conference or out of conference. You know, games. You you got to see teams like Alabama struggle with you know in conference play a lot this year. It felt like the gap got slight slightly shorter between some, and then uh, you know Georgia, Michigan, especially. It felt like there were two or three teams that were just far and above everyone else, and then everyone else kind of beat up on each other like i said bama was not the same bama this year and maybe that's the nil kind of you know teams being able to almost evaluate talent each year and you know say hey you you look good well we need a receiver come play with us it it's it's all about roster management and structure and the nil feels like you know teams like usc who weren't good last year just like that you can turn it around so it's been fascinating to watch that dynamic yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, just the way that NIL has everything working and the, the lack of the transfer rules. I mean, the the offseasons have legitimately turned into free agency. You have no idea what these, you know, young guys are going to do, where they're going to head to play football next. So just as we kind of started to get used to things, I'm sure there will be shakeups and all sorts of weird things happening in this offseason. We'll have to kind of get geared up and do it all over again. But I love college football, Bob. It's just one of those things. Every year we get caught up in the chaos and the conference championship chaos this year. Again, just a chef's kiss. We love it. We absolutely love these things and getting to talk about them. Any Anything else you want to talk about before we get going here, Bob? Well, the last thing is I just want to say, and I'm not going to make a prediction because I have no clue, but we don't even know who the hell the Heisman's going to be, by the way. It's a massive toss-up. So, uh, you know, just one more massive unanswered question going into the college football postseason. Yep. All right. Well, if you have a Heisman pick, go ahead and either DM it to us on Instagram, tweet it at us, whatever you want. 
Go ahead and like this episode on Spotify. Share it. If you are a friend, you will share this with a friend. We love you to death. Thank you so much for listening every week. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Breaking Balls episode 30. Bob, you got the last word. Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly, Eagles, fly, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you on Thursday. Just kidding. No, we won't. We'll see you next Sunday.